Well, we've only got four for Big Boy here, so he's all but useless. But we can squirt off this little pinky raunchy 29 times. the Mad Max Minute, where we squirt off Mad Max Fury Road one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 65, which begins with Toast delivering the grim news of their nearly exhausted ammunition supply, and it ends with the war rig struggling through the mud as the war parties draw closer. So when we wrapped on Monday, we were sitting there with Toast, and she had that little pile of ammo, and as we rejoined them here at the top of Minute 65, she pats the side of the SKS rifle, and she talks about how they've only got four for the big boy there, so he's all but useless. And then she holds up this little pea shooter and says, but we can squirt off this little pinky a raunchy 29 times. Where'd she get that mouth all of a sudden? Talking about squirting off a little pinky. (laughs) And raunchy. Raunchy 29 times. It just doesn't feel... Uh, no, that's not fair to say that it doesn't feel in character. She's been snarky before. Like, of all the legs you had to shoot, you shoot the one attached to his favorite. Hmm. Things like that. So I guess it's really not that out of character. It just sounds a little off to you, huh? It does. It just sounds a little off to me. <laughs> so that little pinky there, I looked it up on the Internet Movie Firearms database, like I do with most things, and it's called the Homemade Township Pistol. So the Derringer is a unique handmade township pistol, as Millspec, who provided it for the film, refers to it. According to the owner, Lance Peters, it is a single-shot twenty-two homemade pistol. It was found in a fully licensed collection of an ex-military officer and most likely confiscated during the Angolan War. In my head, the gun has the same history in real life as it does in the movie. It does seem like the kind of thing that would be found as war boys are scrounging through an abandoned house. Do you remember when we were watching Hot Fuzz and there was that one scene where Sergeant Angel finds the house that's owned by the guy who plays Filch and it is full of guns? Yes. Like, I imagine this being found by war boys in a house like that and being brought to the bullet farm or being brought back to the citadel or somehow making its way into the war rig. Yeah, I imagine that most of the guns found in a stockpile like that, I'm also conjuring images of the dollhouse Mm -hmm. with all the dolls, probably most of those guns got snatched up pretty quick, pretty desirable items. And then there's this, as you called it, little pea shooter that, okay, it's not useless but you know whatever i don't think we ever see it used okay then in this movie it is useless yeah i mean it only shoots 22 like yeah it's gonna break the skin but it's not gonna put anyone down unless you're a squirrel and (laughs) i don't think joe has any squirrels in his army no no it would have to be used in the right way to like shoot somebody in the eye yeah that could be useful it could make it into the eye could it make it through the back of the eye into the brain to actually kill someone? I'm going to say perhaps, 
but what's more likely to happen is that the bullet would enter the eye and then start bouncing around. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And just pulverize the eye. Yeah. Those bullets don't have a lot of punch to them. Mm -hmm. I imagine they'd be able to get through the actual ball portion of the eye, but I don't think it's going anywhere else. Okay. So at best, it's a really good distraction weapon if you can get someone in a soft spot. Yeah, it's good to make someone angry. It's good to (laughs) blind them, at least in one eye. (laughs) And they could do that 29 times if they wanted. Yeah. Uh, She says that they have four bullets for the big boy, which makes him pretty much useless. We have seen Furiosa use this rifle for one and done, and even one and two done. Four left in there in the right hands theoretically could kill up to eight people. Yeah, it's the right hands. Yes. Is what we've got to consider. The right hand. Technically, yes. (laughs) So I think Toast is underestimating what Furiosa could do with four bullets. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important, though, that she's calling attention to the fact that they only have four bullets. And when we reach a scene later on, once the sun has gone down, Toast is going to be all too willing to remind Max of exactly how many shots are left in this rifle. Oh, does she count? Oh, yeah. She keeps okay. track. Okay. Well, she was given a job, and she's going to do it. Mm-hmm. That's the important thing. If you're given a job, do it the best you can. Because even if it's a seemingly unimportant job, you know what? You did it the best you could, and at the end of the day, that's what's really important. Absolutely. The DAG has a comment related to these bullets, talking about how Angherid used to call them anti-seed. You plant one, and you watch something die. Yes. I like the introduction of the subject of seeds. I like that that idea is brought up beforehand, before actual seeds come into play. It's that idea of death versus life, and how we've seen a lot of death, but there is life out there. There is hope. So I think this idea of bullets and seeds opposing each other illustrates that well. Yeah. We'll probably bring it up when we get to the Keeper of the Seeds. Mm -hmm. But she keeps all of her seeds in a brown leather bag, very similar to the brown leather bag that Max threw all of the guns and stuff into. Very true. So you start off this first half of the movie where there is a lot of shooting and a lot of death and not a lot of hope, where everything is pretty much ruled by the distribution of these anti-seeds. And we get the mirror image of the regular seeds held in a very similar bag as the one that was holding all the guns earlier. So I like that we get this balance of images. And in fact, to keep on that image, we have the bullet farmer, you know, from the bullet farm. Mm Mm-hmm. Continuing on that imagery of bullets as seeds, and they can be farmed. So the bullet farmer is farming death. Mm -hmm. Right around 20 seconds or so, we switch color schemes. We've been hanging out. It's been nice and orange because the sun's going down, and then smash cut from sunset right into night. We are now full on blue. Yes, we have entered our blue period. So one noticeable thing about this cloudy night where the full moon is obscured the ground looks a little shiny to me 
It doesn't look like sand. This looks like mud. It does. It's starting to look more hard pack. I think everything about the presentation has changed. The camera has been brought lower. The music has changed. It feels very surreal. Like, this is a dream sequence. It feels like a dream sequence. Mm. Like, this can't be reality. We don't really get a sense of reality until we go inside the cab. Yeah, about eight or nine seconds later, we cut inside and we see that Cheeto is holding this little lantern. And it's reintroducing a little bit of that orange back into the scene. And I think that's why it starts to feel like reality again, because we have this return of orange. Orange is warmth. Orange is things being out in the open. Orange is supposed to be half the composition. And the other half is blue, with the blue sky and the orange sand. And with the blue taking over the entire composition, it's almost like suffocating. It's like pushing me down. And then we bring some of that orange back in, and he immediately warms things up, brightens, and makes you feel more comfortable again. Hmm. This solid blue isn't comfortable, which is odd because when they talk about the color wheel and how the emotions behind colors and how they make you feel, blue is supposed to make you feel calm. And the reds and oranges, the hot colors, are supposed to make you feel excited and agitated. But in this movie, especially in the scene, the blue makes me feel not calm, but suffocated. Mm. And the orange makes me feel glowy and safe. So it's a bit opposite of the standard... Thought process? Yes, with colors. <laughs> I like how around second 34, 35... We get to see that the wives are huddled in the backseat and they're gathered around this lantern and they've got that orange glow. But Furiosa is off in the front seat and she is completely blue. Yes, I have thoughts about this. The wives have each other. They are huddled in the backseat and they are leaning on each other and embracing each other. And they have this light that they are all sharing and Toast, Toast is dead asleep, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's like practically drooling, uncapable. So she feels comfortable enough to actually fall asleep. And then we have Furiosa in the front seat who looks very alone. She's getting no overflow light. And her body language is very dour, I guess. Very kind of moody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something about the wives that I just want to point out before we kind of leave them in the back seat as we're panning across the four of them, we get a real good look at Capable's face. You can see in her face that she has a secret. Mm -hmm. She is smiling in her eyes. And it's really obvious. Anybody who takes a good look at her face <laughs> would know that she has a secret. She's got a secret boyfriend. I really like how Furiosa and Max are segregated color-wise from the wives, because I feel like the wives represent a hope for the future. And Max and Furiosa are so steeped in the old world, this world of fire and blood, the world of the Imperators and the will of a Morton Joe. Like, that's the world that Max and Furiosa live in. Violence and domination. And the wives represent a hope for the future. They're educated. They're young. They're ambitious. They have that metaphorical light to share with others around them, and they gather around it and they protect it. Where Max and Furiosa, 
are very dark individuals because of their pasts. They can't partake in that light because they don't have a place in that world. And I think that's why this movie ends the way it does. Like, this is not Max's deal. And yes, Furiosa gets to be a part of it, but it's also not really her deal either. Yeah, Max is a tool in this story. Well, so is Furiosa. They are the means by which the wives gain freedom and bring hope to the future. I really like the symbolism brought to bear by this simple, this such a simple set piece of them holding a lantern in the dark. Mm -hmm. And you can really pull a lot out of it. Speaking of pulling out of it, so they're driving along and everything kind of seems fine. Things are calm. Toast is asleep. And all of a sudden the rig starts swerving back and forth, just sliding around. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things that happens when this begins is... The wives, of course, show concern, but the blue light starts encroaching on their glowing lantern, kind of bringing this world of violence and uncertainty back in, encroaching upon their existence of hope. And as we cut outside, we see that the tanker is just going way far afield. Like, the speed that they're running at yeah, they have an urgency and they need to keep moving and whatnot, but the ground is just not dry enough for them to be able to maintain a straight course. And Max has to constantly correct where they're going. And so in an effort to keep things under control, Max has got to slow down. Trouble is, once he slows down to get more control, he doesn't have the speed to stay on top of the mud and he starts to sink down into it, which is just the beginning of so many problems for so many characters in this movie. <laughs> it really is a catch-22. Like, Of course he has to slow down, but in doing so, he gets himself stuck. Mm -hmm. See, that's the problem with towing things sometimes. If your weight is not evenly distributed across the thing that you're towing, then it can be very easy for your trailer to start swerving out of control and then you've got to pull back on that speed or else you're going to jackknife yourself. Mhm. Mm what did I see recently? It may have just been a popular video on YouTube of two examples of a car pulling a trailer and where the load was, whether it was further forward or further back. Mm -hmm. And so they're running like a simulation so this car is going at a certain speed with the trailer and they bump the trailer. And the two different load locations behave completely differently like in one where the load i believe is further forward closer to the contact point the trailer self-corrects pretty quick but in the one where the load is further back towards the back edge of the trailer the vehicle goes completely out of control and jackknifes so yeah it's all about weight distribution and if they are storing a lot of their liquid in the back of the tanker then that's where a lot of the weight's going to be. Yeah, we know that the cavity where the wives hid is in the front part of the trailer. Mm -hmm. So that's all empty now. And we also know that that's where the produce was, which... A bunch of lettuce is not going to be nearly right, as heavy. It's just not as dense as liquid hanging out in the further back portions mm -hmm. of the trailer. So yeah, this trailer is dangerously loaded. Especially for this sort of ground. Yes, this ground has gone from looking more hard-packed to there are actual puddles of liquid mm -hmm. 
I can't help but wonder what this looks like in the daytime. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, we never get to see it in the daytime. No, we don't. It's this eerie blue all night makes us feel very otherworldly and quite bizarre, especially because we've been trained over the last four movies to be in the desert for there not to be a lot of water around Mm -hmm. for it to be a precious commodity. Yeah. Water is a special situation. Yeah. It's a unique thing that you only find in some areas. And here the ground is literally soaked with it. We assume it's water because if it was oil or something, there would be another gas town here. You know what I mean? Yes. That's a good point. We assume it's water, but we don't know. Is it, fresh water yeah is it potable is it potable is it salt water we have no earthly idea what type of landscape this is because it is a cloudy night so we can't really see that far and and frankly it looks pretty just flat Mm. and nothing i think the amount of clouds in this area is a good indicator that this is at least water that falls and evaporates and falls like there's a steady pattern of rainfall in this area Because in all of those other arid areas, we didn't see a lot of cloud cover. No, we did not. So do you think this biome is like, I don't know if this is a real thing, but it's locked in its own system? It could be. And it can't escape itself? We are on the other side of a mountainous region. So if there is moisture coming in from a direction, it's going to hit those mountains and bounce back into this area. And we've seen extreme weather prior to this very extreme Mm -hmm. so if a sandstorm an electrical storm can be that extreme what kind of extreme weather could we see once moisture is involved exactly whole different bag of cats (laughs) (laughs) now max has to slow down to avoid the swerving but the cars in the war party do not suffer the same fate they're able to keep their speed up as they go across this marshy section And we see them thundering over the mud at the tail end of this minute. And there's not much else to it. Yeah, I think this minute is pretty simple. We're setting the stage for the next event. Mm -hmm. It just seems to happen that way. That when we have a week where we're on our own, we're in a transitionary period. Which, hey, you gotta have them. Yeah, that's fine. I actually like it that way. Because it allows you and I to go off on tangents... That we might not go off on with guests. Yeah. And then we get to let guests go off on their own tangents. Yeah. I do like that Furiosa and the wives are pretty much getting a chance to take a nap. I have internally bristled a little tiny bit that Max seems to be all of a sudden the default driver. But that will be resolved on Friday. Yeah. I wonder if the reason that Max is still driving is because he wanted to give Furiosa a bit of a break. Because she had to do a lot in that canyon chase and even before the canyon she had been driving since leaving the citadel Mm -hmm. she drove through multiple chases and into the canyon that's a lot it's just a lot to handle she'd been driving for a long time lots of stressful things were happening to her plus they just lost ang harrod and they lost ang harrod so i agree that it was a logical choice to keep him as the driver for kind of the second leg yeah a practical reason. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, they could have switched back after stopping to cool off the engines, but no, it's just not how it happened. Not this time, at least. A quick note 
about Max's face. <laughs> okay. Just a quick note on his face. This entire minute, the camera does focus in on his face, but his face was never the point of the camera. The point was always to either hear somebody else or waiting for something to happen. And his face was just stoic the whole time. Very driver going a long distance. You can see his eyes are on the road, kind of zoned out a bit. He does react to Toast talking about how much ammo they have left, but his reaction is only to flick his eyes towards the rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. And then he's right back to the road, right back to being zoned out. Seems very accurate to real life. When you're driving for that long, you zone out. Plus, he's a driver. He's there to drive, and so he's driving. Yeah. So Come back on Friday, because we will see how Max and Furiosa and the wives react to being stuck in the mud. Max will plant a trap, the war party will fall into it, and the people eater will just start shouting about numbers. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 65 of Fury Road. See you next time.